As I was reflecting about our study of the, the church, our doctrine, and the things that we hold dear, and we want to go back tonight and look at the very introduction of our statement of faith, the church covenant. I was thinking of my, my whole life has been immersed and saturated in the church. I have no other memories. I have no memories of not being in church. Uh, my family brought me as a baby. Uh, I remember, I don't remember the nursery. I was speaking with the the Sunday school teachers this morning, I remember the first Sunday school lesson I remember, I was uh, preschool, and I remember Miss, uh, Miss Taylor speaking about uh, David and Goliath, and uh, that, so the wonder, and trying to picture that in my mind. I was just a four or five years old, I remember. I was in Sweet Singers. Uh, when I got old enough to be in the choir, it wasn't a thing of whether I thought I might be. My mother said, oh yes, you'll be in the choir, and I was in the choir, and uh, the young people, the camps, the vacation Bible school, uh, remember all of that. And uh, some of the dearest people to me today are people from those my infancy. Uh, they're still lifelong friends. They've been more than family. I've only been a member of three churches, and for the last 35 years, a member of this congregation, and I hold it very dear. And when I speak, I speak from a very passionate heart and uh, of the beauty of the Lord's design how uh, how glorious it is and how perfect it is. As a young married couple, we came here. Uh, I actually joined the staff before Kathy and I married, and we married a month later. And we have lived among you. We have reared our children here. Uh, I cannot put an, an estimate of value on uh, what this church has been to us and our family and our children and now our grandchildren. We could not have done it without you. We always prayed that there would be people who would speak in our children's ears what they needed to hear when they would not listen to us. And there will come a time, believe it or not, when that happens at various times. And there were always those who were there to point them in the right direction. You Sunday school teachers, you uh, youth workers, and you uh, church folks who've come along beside us and seen us in all of our good times, bad times, warts and all. And after all, we are a family, aren't we? And... Uh, You've been in our home in, in dark days, in times of grief, in times of sickness. And uh, I just preface all that I say with that testimony of thanksgiving. And what a privilege it is to have served alongside you these 35 years and the last 15 as, as your pastor. Well, our church covenant in its opening words gives the prerequisites of church membership. It says those who have been saved, they have received Christ as their Lord and upon that profession, secondly, that profession of faith, they have openly followed him uh, in believer's baptism, have our Lord having himself given us the example and the, the pattern as he taught his disciples in Matthew 28, verse 19. Teach all nations. That's a command. That's not a suggestion. Teach all nations what? Whatever you want to, whatever you feel like, whatever is vogue, whatever is relevant. no. There's a very specific and codified doctrine we're to teach all nations. And then upon their profession of faith, of conversion to saving faith, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That is the pattern that the Lord has given to his church. Notice the solemnity of intent in these opening words. We do now. It sounds almost like you're in a courtroom. And in fact, a covenant is a very binding thing. It, is, it has that legal sound and ring to it on purpose. We do now in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly. 
Do you know the angels, the scripture tells us in a unique way that we do not fully understand, look to the church and study the church to understand grace and this marvelous work that God has done with those who have fallen and been fallen by sin and uh, affected by the, the fall of Adam and who have been saved by his marvelous grace and have been placed into the bride of Christ. The angels will never be part of the bride of Christ. They're a separate category of created beings. Those who fail will forever be consigned to a place of torment. Those who are unfallen have their own place of praise and adoration to the Lord. But the church, those who have been saved by God's grace and placed in the body of Christ, we are an oddity, if you will. We're unique in all of God's creation and will forever be so. They peer into the church the Bible tells us inquisitively, looking into the things of the church to find out about this marvelous and glorious relationship between the triune Godhead and us. We do now in the presence of God, angels in this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into this covenant with one another as one body in Christ. Well, it is both a solemn and serious matter, or serious matter, and a happy one to have a church home and to be joined together in a local assembly with other fellow uh, brothers and sisters. A covenant is a binding and solemn agreement. <clears throat> it's not a, a trite word. It's not a, a, a word that's used uh, without thought and without purpose. It's a, an agreement by two or more persons or parties, and we see the covenant ratified very early on in the Scriptures in the Hebrew, it's the word berith, and it means a cutting. And it has reference to when a solemn agreement would be made between parties, they would cut up an animal, divide the parts of the animal, and walk between the parts of the animal in a solemn ceremony saying we are pledging ourselves to do or not to do certain things. We see that in Genesis chapter 14 when God did that with Abraham, but it was an unconditional covenant. It was all on God's part, and God made that covenant with Abraham. There are different types of covenant in the Scriptures. We see it also in Jeremiah 34. But in the New Testament, the corresponding word is diathese, and it is usually translated testament. And so we have the Old Testament or Old Covenant and the New Testament or New Covenant. God covenanted, for example, with Noah and gave a solemn declaration that he would never destroy the earth by water as he did in Noah's day. And we see the ratification of that covenant. Every time we see a rainbow, it is a message, a silent sermon from God, a reminder from God, a message from heaven. Oh, by the way, I will not destroy the earth with water again. What a beautiful and sobering sign, we, we look at a rainbow and rejoice about it, but it, that's a gift from the Lord to his creation. It's a message from him. At any rate, this, this covenanting or agreeing together is a very serious and biblical matter. Two things we notice as we study the early church, and we have done so in detail, both in our detailed study of the book of Acts and then as we've gone through the tenets of the things that we believe. Every believer you meet in the New Testament was baptized. And every believer that you meet in the New Testament was affiliated, a member of a local body of believers, a very remarkable thing. At the end of many of the epistles, you will see 
catalogs of, of names. You know, the great book of Romans, one of the most glorious books in the Bible, that doctrinal book, and Paul gives the reason of the fall of man, the God's plan of salvation. The, the glorious doctrines are all laid down for us. And then at the end of that letter, we see how real it is and how real the people were that he was talking to because he lists them by name. Is it not interesting to you that the Holy Spirit would record forever in the Word of God names of people who lived at a particular period of time? Turn with me to Romans chapter 16. I want to just point that out as we, we study about our, our church covenant where, where Paul uh, mentions these believers uh, these, uh, who uh, worked with him. They were co-laborers with Paul or the other apostles. Uh, often moving from one place to another. They're carrying letters of recommendation alongside. The, some of them were actually, Phoebe, for example, was the, the lady entrusted with carrying the letter. And so what a highly trusted person she was to, to do such a thing. And uh, our church letters to give themselves reference from their own home or sending churches. And we read there in Romans chapter 16, I commend you unto you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church, which is in Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints. He's giving her a letter of recommendation at the end of the Roman epistle. There's her church letter attached to it. Receive Phoebe into your assembly. She is a dear sister. She is a, bro- a sister beloved and that she assist her in whatever business she hath need of you. What a what a blanket statement. Paul is saying, treat this lady with all respect. Whatever she needs, do it. Can you imagine the weight of the apostles writing behind that? For she has been a sucker or a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, and to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Aquila and Priscilla sponsored, used their home for a church to meet there. Salute my well-beloved Epineus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. And Mary must have been so well known that he didn't have to give anything but Mary. What a common name, but she was known by the Romans, uh, the, the church at Rome. Salute Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen. And my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who are also in Christ before me, they came to know the Lord before I did. Paul mentions these interesting little tidbits of information about these very real people. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our sister. There's your name if you're wanting a name for a daughter. This is Urbane, our daughter. <laughs> I don't know, I just find that humorous. But one day they're going to be laughing at Chris. Can you imagine naming a child, Chris? Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that are of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. And he goes on and on listing these, this catalog of lists of, of people. Uh, Rufus there is an interesting man. You ought to, to look him up. And, and, and note where else he's mentioned in the, the scripture. That'll be a good little homework assignment for you. And come back and let me know what you find out about Rufus or who that might be. And they all, look at verse uh, uh, 17. 
now, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses. Obviously, there were those who were doing that. He said, what? Mark them. Know that that's what they're going to do. And uh, beware of those who cause divisions. Contrary to what? Not just to you don't agree on the color of, of the walls or that kind of thing, but those who are walking contrary to the doctrine that you have learned and avoid them. There weren't many doctrines. There was one faith that delivered to the saints the apostolic doctrine. And they were to deviate from that. Paul said, mark them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. Well, that's putting it just plain and simple, isn't it? And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. Well, he goes on. In Malachi 3, verse 16, we read, They that feared the Lord spake often to one another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. What a picture of the Lord's church. Our Lord Jesus personally gathered a group together. And then after his ascension, these all, the Bible tells us, continued together with one accord in prayer and supplication. They were the nucleus that were, were gathered in expectation and on the day of Pentecost, they became the church at Jerusalem. Their, after Pentecost, their numbers were greatly increased by a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, saving thousands. And in Acts 2.42, it tells us that what did they do? They continued steadfastly. And, and literally in the Greek, that phrase has the, the connotation of they stuck like glue to one another and to the things of God. There was no spasmodic on again, off again thing they continued steadfastly just you know day after day in the apostolic doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers and all that believed were together you see this glued to get they were together there's no such thing as is going solo in the new testament all were accountable they were in bodies of believers they were in local assemblies notice those words over and over they were together and they had all things common and this close association was on probably, no, of course it was from the teaching of the apostles. They didn't know to do that. The leading of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the apostles that they were to let the word of Christ dwell in them richly in teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You must be together to admonish each other, to sing together and to teach each other the songs. Uh, the, the very injunction of not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. But he says, you to exhort one another so much more as you see the day approaching. We can't exhort someone that you do not see or not in close proximity to. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. You see, the ministry of the church is so far-reaching. Even as also you do, warn them that are unruly. That's part of being a member of a family. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. And, of course, we could just go on and on with these scriptures, but the fact is they work together. Notice that we pledge to, to what to do and not to do in our covenant. And we're going to just give a cursory um, reading and uh, commenting on these things and, and uh, see what the Lord has for us here. We pledge to do and not to do certain things, all dependent upon the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. The... Church of Christ is an organism. It is a living organism. It's not an organization. You can have dead, rote 
people together meeting in a group or an assembly and not have the church of Christ. There I am in the midst of them. There must be the only where Christ is is where his people are and his people are those who have the spirit of Christ dwelling in them. And so we are very dependent upon the Holy Spirit uh, to give the life to the body. Uh, the, as the, the blood, if you will, in the human body. So often the human body is given as a picture and example of the church. There, there's no life. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And as the blood supplies nourishment to every cell and joint and bone and part, organ of the body, so the Holy Spirit gives life to every part of the church. And so we're, we're absolutely dependent upon the Lord's Spirit to do what he calls us to do. You, the arm of flesh will fail you. You cannot trust your own. Without me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And uh, that's why it's so sad when we read the Lord's letters to the churches. You think you're rich and powerful and influential, but you're naked and poor and you're, you're, you're wretched. You know, he, he was speaking especially to the Laodicean church, which by all description seems to be the church of the 21st century. Well, the first thing our covenant says is that we pledge to walk together in Christian love. What a tall order that is. We could just park there and have a Bible conference. Walking together in Christian love. Well, to walk together, you have to be going the same direction, don't you? Just think about that picture there. Alongside one another. My wife is shorter than I am. You may have, met, you may have noticed. <laughs> I never think about that except when I, we're together and we look at a mirror in a store or something and you know, we, I see it and I notice it. But in our day-to-day life, the only time I notice it is when I'm always going at breakneck, 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 break, I can't say the word, thank you, speed, wherever I'm going. And she said, if you would like for me, I, I hear this all, for 35 years I've heard this, if you'd like for me to go with you, you'll have to slow down. And I'll say, well, you know, but, but for me to walk like you do, it's just impossible. I can't make steps that small. And it, and it, it's just, so we have to, to work, work on it. But, but you have to be agreed to try to do that, don't you? Can two, Amos asked, can two walk together except they be agreed? And so our walking together, the agreement is the doctrine that we hold dear, the, the apostolic doctrine. And we must be agreed if we're going to walk together. And, and this is a picture of, of the church. Uh, two are better than one, Ecclesiastes 4.9 tells us. But you know why? It gives us several reasons. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. And that's part of the, the God's plan for church membership because, like it or not, or think so or not, some of us will fall from time to time. And, and we need others to help us in this journey, to remind us and point us in the right direction. That's why we're here. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. And that's a picture today. So many people who profess to know the Lord... They're not in a local assembly, and they're wandering out there, as it were, in the wilderness, and there's, there's no one there. The TV radio pastor, and I am a TV and radio pastor, but the TV and radio pastor is not the one who can come alongside you and encourage you to, 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 and to pray with you and to, to minister to you as a real flesh and blood one will in a local assembly. 
we, we say that we will pledge to walk together in Christian love. So evidently there's, a, there's various kinds of love. Christian love is described for us in 1 Corinthians 13. If you're wondering what that looks like, there's a very vivid description given to us there where the Holy Spirit says it is patient. So we're to be patient with one another. Kind. We're to be gracious to one another. It does not envy or boast. We don't get jealous of one another if somebody gets a promotion or a new car or a new house or whatever. You know, There's no jealousy among the body of Christ. It is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. That would solve a lot of problems in business meetings, wouldn't it? It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears how many things? All things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And then the, the apostle summarizes and said, love never ends. That's Christian love. This defines the love that we are to have for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we read that portion of Scripture from Paul's epistle, the pastoral epistle to Timothy, where he closes in summarizing all that teaching about the church being the pillar and the ground of truth and what we should reject and do and give attendance to reading and all those things. And then in the first part of the next chapter, he says that you treat the older men as your fathers, the elders as your fathers, the older women as your mothers, the women your age or younger as your sisters, the, the men your age or younger as your brothers. And that defines our relationship in the, the body of Christ. It's a very beautiful and uh, very vivid picture of this, uh, what it's like in the body. Well, secondly, we say there, to, we'll strive for the advancement of this church. I have never understood people being a member of a church and not being loyal to it. That goes against everything in my human makeup, but it goes against the intent of what the Lord has for here. Now, I'm a, I'm a husband, and I have loyalty to my wife and my family, and if you use that same analogy, it's carried over into our relationship here. Uh, this, the advancement of this, this particular assembly here, real and vital and faithful outreach programs uh, and all those things that the Lord has designed uh, for us to do. Uh, I, I would wonder if you would ask yourself the, the question. There's some questions that we could ask ourselves. Uh, if every member of the church were as concerned as I am, what would the concern level of the church be? You understand, you understand the question I'm asking? If everyone gave in proportion to their, their income that, as I do, what would, the, what would the financial situation be of the church? Uh, if everyone were as faithful in my area, wherever the Lord is played, and I know you're not, you cannot do everything. It's physically impossible. I'm not saying that. You know that. But as faithful as I am, would there be any vital programs in the church? Would there be enough to have a choir or a visitation or Sunday school or upcoming vacation Bible school if everyone felt about it just like I do and gave themselves to it just like I do? If ever the member did just like I do, what would it be like? Well, we say to promote its prosperity and spirituality. Let me just ask a question, and, and please... Just think about it. Of course, I don't want you to answer it out loud, but do answer it in your heart. Are you spiritual? Could you be described as a truly spiritual person? 
I mean, what is the caliber of the depth of your spirituality? Are you a surface Christian? Are you easily irritated? Are you just marking time? I came to church. This is my scorecard. You know, I, I did that. What, what is the depth of your spirituality? Are you progressing spiritually? Can, can you look to others or can others look to you as a pattern of good works? That's, that's a pattern of what a godly man or woman or young person, for that matter, ought to be. That ought to be how every believer conducts their lives. Do you seek for your, your church's good? Do you promote it? And are you loyal to it? It's always very grievous to me. And being raised in church as I have been, and my mother had a beauty shop at our home. It was connected to our house, if you can imagine. And, uh, I mean, I, I heard all kinds of things. I remember as a little boy, I would hear people discuss their churches, you know. I've heard it in the barber shop. I've heard it at the beauty shop since it was at our house. And if I ever was in the room next to the beauty shop, you could hear. And it, it grieved me even before I was a true believer because my parents taught us loyalty and, and faithfulness and, and a good attitude about the church, the bride of Christ. The great damage that, that some members do to their church by, by criticizing it to others outside of the church. It's a very disgusting thing. It has never set well with me, and I've always wondered why people would do such a thing. The, the greatest damage is when believers criticize to unbelievers their church or their pastor or or the business meeting, or whatever the situation is going. For one thing, they don't have a point of reference, do they? And it just gives ammunition of why they're not in a local body of believers. Now, we know there's no per Your family's not perfect, and this church family's not perfect, but to criticize it to those outside this fellowship is a very disloyal thing to do. May I just say that right there? Uh, especially to co-workers and to... to uh, those outside of the faith, and it, it may be a stumbling block for people coming to faith in Christ. And I remember down through the years hearing that, and I just, I just thought, that's a horrible, horrible thing. You don't criticize your family to other people, and you don't criticize your church family to other people. Promote its prosperity, its spirituality. The fourth part there says to sustain its worship, its ordinances, its discipline, and doctrines. Every generation has the responsibility from heaven itself to preserve in purity the body of faith. The faith, isn't it amazing to you there has been a believing remnant since Abel, Adam and Eve, throughout time, throughout the dark ages, down to this very hour, there has been the faith, the true saving faith on earth, and will be to the end of time. I can say that with all assurity because our Savior said, I will build my church. There will be a believing remnant, a body of believers when Christ comes again. These are things, these beliefs, these tenets that we firmly hold to. I, I, I wonder about people who attend but never join a local body of believers. Uh, some who profess to come to Christ but and know the teaching of, of those who come to know him that should follow him in baptism and never do. 
I, I worry about that and I wonder about that. These ordinances, we've pledged to continue them until the Lord comes back. They are open, invisible object lessons and testimony every time we observe the Lord's table. That's not something we made up. Our Lord so graciously instituted it just before he went to the, to the cross. He says, every time you do this, you'll be remembering what I'm, I'm about to do. My, my body and my blood that was wounded and shed for you and for your salvation. Oh, what a solemn and precious time it is to remember, to remember. Every time we see someone follow the Lord in believer's baptism, and that, that public and open and vivid picture of dying to the old life and rising again to walk in newness of life, a picture of conversion, a picture of Christ is now my Lord and I'm following him, it is a continuance of these things held dear from the apostles until the end of time. And in that sense, we have a close camaraderie with churches down through the ages. And we sing, there, there are glimpses in some of our hymns that talk about the church, the mysterious, the mysterious body of Christ, that some are on the other side and some are here, yet we have mystic, sweet communion. How do we do that? As we hold these things dear, as we partake of the ordinances that the Lord gives us, there's a continuance, an unbroken chain of continuance of these things until the Lord comes. We, we wonder uh, the preciousness of these things that, that God has given to us. And, and parents, let me just say, we ought to approach these things with wonder and awe with our children. Use every opportunity to instill in your children the wonder of the Lord's work, the preciousness of the fellowship of, of Christ. Your children are going to need these people as, as unusual as we may be, as different, very back, various backgrounds and so forth, God in his sovereignty and his, his perfect knowledge places us with those we need to be with. And as we've often said, we might not would associate or assemble ourselves quite like this in any other area of life. It's it always interesting to me, the makeup of a church, because it's sovereignly done. God brings us, has brought us together. That's the first statement in our statement of faith. Having believed that God has brought us together in this way. Isn't that an amazing thing? Some people you would never know. In our congregation, as cosmopolitan as it is, and from various places, uh, we meet all kinds of people. Isn't that a wonderful thing? From various walks of life and, and nationalities. We were talking with one of our dear ladies who's about to go back to her country at the end of this month who, who came to, to faith here in our, in our church who did not know anything about the Lord or his word or his work. And her, her, uh, in her voice today, she said, I must find what I have here. I must find a, a family, a, a people and when I go back home. And we're, we're very much in prayer about that, that the Lord would help her to find that. She has seen the importance of the Lord's work in his, his church. It is here that we serve the Lord together, pooling our resources, our energies, our talents, the spiritual gifts that he's given us. Do you know that spiritual gifts are not given to entertain ourselves? And they're given to build up the whole body. And that they cannot be fully used unless they're used in the church. The, the, the spiritual gifts that God has given to us is to edify the whole. And what I cannot accomplish by myself, which is very little, in fact, zero. But when we lay our abilities at the feet of our Lord, 
and join together and lock arms together. We become the army of God here on earth, occupying till he comes. We can do together what none of us could do by ourselves. When we give our energies together, our resources, and so combined we can accomplish what none of us could ever do alone. Paul told the Romans, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. That's a tall order, isn't it? And for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers. That labor, exertion, blood, sweat, and tears in doing the work of the Lord. Our happiest times come when we're elbow to elbow, whether on a church work day or accomplishing some task, vacation Bible school, visiting together. Some of our, our most memorable um, memories are doing things like that. Not necessarily in a worship service, although that's certainly a wonderful thing, but the, the work of the Lord that we do together and, and blend our, our, our efforts together. We are to occupy till he comes. Here in enemy territory where they don't get it and don't appreciate what we bring or have to offer and uh, don't understand what we're trying to do, where we're criticized and frowned upon, we're to keep on keeping on until the Lord Jesus comes back. The reason the earth has not dissolved already is because of Christ's church here in it. Now, you may think that's a bold statement, but that's the only reason Christ has not finished building his bride. We are the glue that holds it together. I didn't say we're everything we ought to be or could be or should be. But with all the faults and with all the problems of, of a flawed people, we are the Lord's people. And what a privilege it is and what a responsibility it is. We dare not be divided. We, we sing songs of unity in that we are not divided. All one body we are running to, about to and fro unprotected, out from under the safety and the watchful eyes of our fellow brothers and sisters. Thank God for that. Thank the Lord for someone who said, where have you been? What are you up to? Where, how are you doing spiritually? How's that problem? How, those, those questions are healthy, good questions, and you'll only find that in the accountability of those who really care about you. If you get offended because someone asks you where you've been or what's going on in your life, you need to get at the foot of the Lord Jesus Christ and find out what's going on in your heart because that's the way it should be. It's like a child, the mother comes by and says, did you, did you get that job done? That's what a mother does. That's what a father does. That's what a brother or sister does. I was sharing <laughs> recently about my older brother, who got very perturbed with me for not riding my bicycle in the period of time he thought I ought to have ride, be able to ride it. And I admit, I was slow in developing in some areas, as you can see. And uh, riding the bicycle was, to me, I don't know what, it was just the biggest deal. I was scared. I was afraid. I don't know what it all was. But I was old enough to be riding one. And I had a bright red shoddy bicycle I'd gotten for, for Christmas. And I, I, was, I hate to tell you how old I was, but I was a big size. And I, I would just push it around. <laughs> I, I, it's, a, it's a pitiful picture, but I, I was quite content to do that. And my brother that's 10 years older than me, who, you know, this, this senior in high school, <laughs> he said, you little, <laughs> I'm sure, I don't know what word he used, but it wasn't very flattering. 
he got so upset of me just pushing my, my bright red bicycle. That's not the way it's done. You're supposed to ride the thing for crying out loud. And so Mike and Bill, my brother's older, just, one was in the sixth grade, one was in the senior in high school. Oh, I've told you, I was in first grade, and I still wasn't riding my bicycle. And so he took me to the top of 40th Street Hill, there where we lived, and he put me on it and just pushed. There, ride your bicycle. <laughs> He didn't tell me why to use the brakes or anything like that. And in that neighborhood, was an unincorporated area. All of our mailboxes were lined up together. And I just ran right into those mailboxes, you know, so forth. But I, I was sharing that last night with the, with the grandkids were riding their different different things. And, and I, that's just what brothers do, you know. They make sure you learn. Maybe you could have done it a little bit better. You know, we might could come along with a little bit more love in our voice, but, but the concern and, and care is there. Thank the Lord for brothers and sisters in Christ. And guess what? I learned to ride a bicycle with, with bruises and, and, and sprained things and, and, and chipped things on my body. I learned to ride it. Our combined efforts in, in, to support missionaries and to support mission projects, for example, the Gospel of John, could you raise the, the what is it, how many thousands of dollars is it, uh, 40 or whatever that it is that, that I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I've overestimated it, but it's, it's more than I have in my account and you have in yours. Not any of us in this congregation could send out the Gospel of John that's about to go out in August. It's 40,000 homes, isn't it? That's, I, and that, that, that 40 is there for some reason. But, but to, together, with many people contributing, we're able to do something that none of us could do alone. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Uh, think about the Thanksgiving supper, just that whole vast uh, united effort to feed hundreds and hundreds of people that no, no one person could cook all that food and bring them all in and, and serve those people and, and show the love of Christ. We say here that we will strive for its advancement in knowledge, grow in biblical knowledge, in holiness, personal living, the love of the Lord, and in comfort to promote its prosperity and spirituality. All of us should give ourselves, not just the pastor, not just the staff, not just the deacons, every single one of us. Ask yourself this question. I've already asked it. If everybody else were as concerned, as involved as, as I am, what would we have here? What would be accomplished? We're, we're to maintain family and, and secret devotion, again, emphasizing the spiritual growth and, and fervor. If you are depending, parents, on your Sunday school teacher to, uh, to do all that your children need, that's, that's the wrong view. We're to be con- constantly concerned about our spiritual growth and our children's spiritual growth. Our Lord said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're clinging to the word which I've spoken unto you. We pledge in our covenant to religiously educate our children. This church feels so strongly about it that we have a Christian school as a discipling arm of our church, seizing every opportunity to establish them in in the Lord. We say that we'll contribute cheerfully and regularly uh, to its support of the ministries and the expenses of the church and the, the relief of the poor and the spread of the gospel to all nations. Again, the Bible gives us the pattern. Paul taught the, the Corinthians upon the first day of the week. When is that? That's the Lord's Day. When we're meeting together as part of your worship, let some of you, a few of you who get it, a few of you lay it by them in store. Is that what he says? No, let every one of you. You see, everybody in a home has a part. 
that they play, and everyone in the church family has a part they can play. Let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters, there again we see those letters, those church letters, then will I send to bring your liberality or your gracious monetary gift unto Jerusalem. Well, these are important things that we, that, that we have here. To seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances. That ought to always be utmost in our hearts and lives. At every prayer meeting, we, we hear people praying for loved ones. And we, we constantly ask the Lord to save the lost. To walk circumspectly in the world. We will leave this place and we will go into places of business and service tomorrow. We will be out and among where we, our light is to shine and our salt is to make thirsty. But we, I remind us, to walk very carefully. You're walking before a world who sneers at everything you've just heard. All that you sing about and all that you hold dear is discounted, not believed, and not held precious as it is to you. You're to walk circumspectly. And I've already mentioned that by what we talk about, how, what kind of light we put the things in. To walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings. You see, what we do here today ought to a matter of how we transact business tomorrow. Our doctrine ought to be trans, translated into shoe leather, into how we, we live out what we say we believe. To be faithful in all of our engagements. To be exemplary in our, our lifestyle. To avoid tattling and backbiting. Uh, these things that would destroy any family, wouldn't they? You parents would not allow your children, when you heard them uh, backbiting or, or fighting or whatever, you would, you'd break it up, wouldn't you? You'd say, you're not going to do like that. You're not going to treat one another like that. You're brother and sister. Now, kiss and make up or whatever it is you do. You're going to treat each other with respect. You're not going to treat each other that way. And all of us as parents have had to work on that and expected a, a, a level of respect and a uh, rapport among our, our families. And we prize very highly the peace in the unity and the love in our homes. And, and we strive for that. And we do the same thing here. We're to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and in distress. When someone is sick, that's a flashing light for you to say, okay, what can I do to be a blessing to that home? When there's a death, don't, or when there's a sickness, don't think what could be done just decide what you're going to do. Ask the Lord to give you an opportunity to show the love of Christ and, and, and to, to be what these folks need. And in a church like this, there's always someone going through various levels or experiences of life. Let's be sensitive. Let's uh, new people, let's make them feel welcome. Uh, people who are uh, going through difficult times, just have a sense. Ask the Lord to give you a discernment, and then get out of your comfort zone and do something. Don't just say, call me if you need something. Go do it, you know. It's always appropriate to bring a baked cake. Uh, you know, it's always important. A casserole is never not appreciated, you know, especially if it's given in the spirit of love or, or to do something that someone needs to be done. Just, just be sensitive. This is the way brothers and sisters work. And always ready for reconciliation. Now, I'm going to come back to this because of all the things I've talked about here, that is the stickiest part of the church covenant. Be ready and willing to be reconciled. And to secure, we say, always slow to take offense. Are you? 
We could park right there, couldn't we? Have a moment of silence. Am I slow to take offense? That's a deep, deep subject, isn't it? We pledge to one another to be slow to take offense. Can we just have a business meeting right now? I'm very, very careful about this. One time I was with my father-in-law, and he was preaching, and he called a mock business meeting. He took me with him, and uh, he had a sermon where he voted out people. They called a, a business meeting and voted out, voted out Sister Long Tongue, Miss Sister Gossip, and all that, all these troublemakers. At the end of the, I've shared this with you before, at the end of the service, they, they called it into an official business meeting, and it, I mean, it, they voted people out and everything. It was just an absolute horrible thing. But I think we need to have a referendum here tonight, okay? Does that, does that sound like agreement? This so rarely happens here. I think we need to have an official business meeting at Glen Iris Baptist Church and vote once and for all that we will be uh, slow to take offense but always ready for reconciliation. Is that a, did some, would someone move that we... Uh, I'm serious here. Would someone move that, make a motion? I'm not even doing this right. Would someone make a motion? All right. That's a good deacon doing that. Would someone second the motion that we will be slow to take offense and always ready for reconciliation? Would someone else, would someone second? Do we have a second? All right. Is the clerk writing this down? All right. Thank you, Brother Mays. All in favor, raise your hand. Okay. I want to see every hand. Okay. Well, that's okay. It's official here. We're slow to take offense, always ready for reconciliation. Now, Seriously, that's the most, I mean, of course, the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important, but in the day-to-day working of the church, that's mandatory. Let us be slow to take offense, always ready for reconciliation. Give the other one the benefit of the doubt. Give, Give the benefit of the doubt as you would want to be given. We engage that when we remove from this place, we shall as soon as possible unite with some other church. I have tongue-in-cheek said I was going to teach or preach, and I just can't, don't know how to, to go about it. How to leave a church? What, how do you do that? Under what grounds? How do you carry that out? What is the right thing to do? I think this would be a good place to do it. Not tonight, but in this, this looking at our church covenant, that about reconciliation. And because, because if we pledge to do it, we ought to know what we're talking about, right? When we remove from this place, how do we do that? How should it be done? If, if we're here by the will of God, do we treat something that we say is the will of God very flippantly and as if it doesn't matter at all? It's, it's, irre- it's un- irreprehensible, isn't it? And that we might can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the Lord bless his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your design, for your plan, and for letting us be part of it. It's flawed as we are, Lord. And, and I would be the first to say that as the pastors of this beloved church that I'm very flawed. But Lord, you know my heart and I know the hearts of these people. Thank you for welding us together in this precious, precious fellowship. May we not take it for granted. May we walk circumspectly and carefully and be mindful of one another and, and seek to be in harmony and unity Lord, and, and at the same time, dealing with sin, as your, Bible, your word tells us to, we have to do that, and we have to correct, and we have to, to, to do things by your, your word. Now, Lord, bless us, and use your word to perfect your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.